The One Voice podcast is a safe place for conversation on healing from sexual abuse. And though our guest today is not a survivor of sexual abuse, she is a survivor of the 1999 Columbine High School tragedy. And today, Crystal Woodman Miller is a powerful voice on anti-violence in schools and the author of Marked for Life, Choosing Hope and Discovering Purpose After Earth-Shattering Tragedy. In the aftermath of the horrendous school shooting that happened this past month in Parkland, Florida, we wanted to talk with Crystal, hear her story, and where she finds her strength. Crystal, it's Nicole. Hello. Hi. Hey. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? Good. Doing good. You got those babies down? They're all down. <laughs> well, good. Well, um, I'm so glad you're willing to do this with us. I've obviously been wanting you to be on the podcast for quite some time, but... Now, just yeah, with sorry, everything going sorry. on in the world, I'm like, gosh, there's no better time than now, right? So true, but sad. Yeah. You know, like it's it's just a very relevant and unfortunately a topic that's not going away. Yeah, that sure seems like it. Well, I met Crystal years and years ago when we were actually sharing a stage together. We were sharing our stories with Billy Graham's grandson, Will, at some of his events that he was putting on across the country. And uh, Crystal... I feel like we immediately connected when when we met, and I feel like you're one of the most friendly people I've ever met in my life, and I just had so much fun with you, like backstage and stuff at those events. So I just, I wanted to kind of reconnect with you, Crystal, and hear a bit of your story, kind of what you went through on that infamous day at Columbine High School. Yeah, you bet. First, I just want to say those are some of the kindest things anyone has said about me. So thank you, Nicole. And I just I feel the same about you. I was so honored to share a stage with you. I think you um, bring such a powerful message a necessary message in such a beautiful, articulate and truth filled way. So I want to thank you for what you're doing. And I want to thank you for just having me on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, my story, <laughs> my story is now it's been almost 19 years since the events took place at Columbine High School. I was 16 years old at the time. I was a junior in high school when I decided on April 20th, 1999 to go to our school library to study for a test. And I had been in there maybe five minutes with a couple of my friends when chaos broke out in, the, mm. in and around the school. And I remember glancing out and seeing, seeing students running with looks of terror on their faces, trying to push their way through the halls, couldn't exactly see what they were running from, didn't really hear sounds at this point. Um, but, but just we're kind of, we were trying to figure everything out when a teacher came running in and said, there's guys with guns and bombs, they're shooting students, hide under your tables. And I remember looking around at my friends, you know, I thought this was some sort of a joke. Yeah. Before April 20th, 1999, this sort of thing just didn't happen. Right. Yeah. We never heard so about that. Was, mm-hmm. No, I mean, there was, there was a few things that we had heard uh, about, but it was very far away from Colorado and it was very, you know, just it just was very um, infrequent. Right. And so when the teacher said those words, she was, she was already picking up the phone to call the police to come. And we started hearing loud popping noises and explosions. So we knew that it was too late to, to run anywhere else or find a decent place to hide. So we got underneath of our tables. My friend Seth, who was under there with me, kind of sheltered my body with his own. And he said at that mm-hmm. point, he said, Crystal, I promise 
that I will take a bullet for you. Wow. I know. And when he said those words to me, I knew that at 16 years old, I was faced with the reality of my death. And Mm I I did the only thing I could think to do. And I say, God, if you are real, God, if you are the God that people say you are, then get me out of here alive. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, I had been partying and making a lot of poor choices. And I just promised that I would quit doing all of those things if you would just give me a second chance. Mm And with that, the two boys entered the the library and began their killing rampage for seven and a half minutes. And I know that may not sound like very much time, but it felt like an eternity, literally waiting to to die. And and at listening as they kind of wove in and out of tables, gunning down their victims, making fun of them based on the way that they looked, Mm. the color of their skin, Mm. if they were overweight, if they wore glasses, if they, you know, they were even asking students if they believed in God and shooting them when they answered yes. And so listening to all of this, literally just kind of contemplating death, what I had seen about violence in Hollywood, this was different. I mean, this was my life and this was so much more scary than I could have ever imagined as, as my body was shaking uncontrollably from the fear and, and the room was filling with smoke that it made it difficult to breathe. And suddenly, um, after several moments, they had come up the middle section of the library where my friends and I were hiding. And at this point, my prayers had just become desperate pleas to God. God, please get me out of here. Please, please, please. And they turned and they killed a a boy who was at the table right next to us, just a few feet away. And they turned to our table and they, they pushed a chair in underneath of my table and I felt it hit my arm. My friend Seth, he recalls their boots just inches from the back of my, my head. And I kind of clenched and I kind of closed my eyes and, and I waited for death to come. I waited for that bullet to, to tear through my body and nothing happened. They started talking about how they had to um, go reload their guns. They left their ammo in another part of the school. And at that point, they left. And yet they made it very clear that they were coming back to kill those of us who are still alive. And so we knew we had just a small window of opportunity to escape. And we got up to do that at that moment and, and kind of started making our way to an exit of the library. And as we did so, it looked like just a, a war had taken place inside oh. of that small room. As I was literally, I mean, it was so dark, it was hard to see, and it was smoky, and and I was literally stepping over the bodies of my friends and my classmates so that I could save myself. And I finally made my way outside of the library, and and of course, we didn't know it at the time, but the library was the scene of the most intense violence, where where 10 of the 13 were killed, and Mm -hmm. 15 of the 24 were wounded, it was in the same library where I was hiding. And then eventually the boys did return. They took their own lives there as well. Wow. That is intense, Crystal. And it, it's, you know, having known you now as a survivor of this shooting and just how kind and happy and joyful and, and friendly you are. It's And, you know, you always have a smile on your face. It's just hard to imagine that you've gone through such incredible tragedy it's a reminder to me that you just never know the people that you meet, you know, in the grocery store, at the bank, wherever you're at. You just never know what they're carrying inside, what they've been through, what they've seen in their life. That is such a good point, Nicole. I mean, you're exactly right. We we all have a story and all of our stories matter and all of our voices matter. And 
it just is a good reminder to, to be kind and to hold out hope to a broken and hurting world. And just, just that a smile or a bit of kindness can go a very long way, mm. sometimes a lot further than we can even imagine. Mm. And, and that is, you're exactly right, because we all have been on a journey and we're continuing to journey through. And, you know, for me, I really, I'm so grateful that my journey it, it includes Jesus <laughs> because yeah. I can't imagine walking through the difficulties and the things of this life with, without him. Yeah. Amen. I, I don't think that I could talk about my experiences um, without him being the, the center of my story and where I found purpose and hope. I know that's the same for you. And I know also that you are a voice. Now you speak out. Um, in an effort to prevent school violence and um, mm-hmm. to help those who've already been impacted by it. And soon after this school shooting that just recently occurred um, in Parkland, Florida, you were there. And I'm so grateful for that, Crystal. I know, you know, I just felt grateful that you could go. I know, you know, you're a mom now and it's not easy just to run when, you know, something like that happens um, and, and to be a voice there, but I'm so grateful that you were able to, you spent a, about a week there right after the shooting, correct? Correct. You know, and I've, I've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of these, these places after, of you know, such an incident occurs. And this was the first time I've ever gone so close. Um, to the actual event so soon after. I was about four days after the shootings. I arrived in Florida, and I was invited by a group of churches, and I was really amazed at just the unity of the churches there and the way that they mobilized quickly to wrap their arms around the the hurting community of Parkland. Mm. And I was just really, I was really impressed to see when when the body comes together and, and operates in that way, just the things that we can accomplish when we move as a unified front. And so I really was so honored. There was there were so many people that could have been invited into that space, and yet they, they called me, and I just felt I did not take that lightly. I felt like it was such a sacred space, yeah. and though it was heartbreaking and it was so hard, it was also very beautiful to mm-hmm. see the way that God is moving, but also the hope and, and the resolve and the resilience of some of these students, you know, the way that they're, they're, they're really just stepping out bravely mm. in so many ways. Yet, you know, in, on the other side of that, just knowing exactly what they're facing, being able to go and relate and say, to speak exactly into those places and say, I know, I know where you're at right now. And, and there's not, there's not a timetable. You don't have to be at a certain point of healing and, and you never do. You know, mm-hmm. we're all going to journey through this process of grief and, and, and tragedy at our own pace. And just to share with them that, that they aren't alone. You know, now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's a group of survivors and you, you understand this, Nicole, that, that unfortunately now these students belong to a club that none of us wish that we belong to. Mm. And yet here we are, our lives will never be the way that they once were. So what are we going to do with that? You know, we have the opportunity to respond and we have two choices. We can always give up, be bitter, angry, kind of throw in the towel and say, I'm done. 
or we can choose hope. We can choose hope despite the things that are trying to crush us and annihilate us. And, you know, for me, I always, I always talk about that scripture in John 10 where it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy because we have an enemy who is so real and he hates us and he hates our lives and, and he wants to destroy us yet Jesus comes that we may have life and have it to the fullest. And when we, when we, when we trust in him and when we give him our lives, we watch him do a remarkable thing to bring beauty from ashes and to do things unthinkable in the midst of, of tragedy. And it's not like, it's not like he and, and the devil are like, toe-to-toe, you know, throwing punches equally. I mean, our God is so much bigger, and He's already won. And so that's the Mm. hope that I bring. It's a hope that He wins, Mm. always. Mm. He wins in the end. Wow. What a powerful message you have, and you're so good at delivering it. Um, I'm wondering what what your message is to the schools in the immediate aftermath of something as horrible as this. You know, I, I know that for me, my message is very similar from, you know, a faith-based institution to a public forum, but there are some things I can't share. And you're so articulate about your faith in Jesus and the hope that you have there. How does that change? And what do you, what's kind of your message when you speak to schools? Maybe not, maybe not schools in Florida, maybe just in general about anti-violence. You know, that's a great question because I, I want to honor the public setting, you know, and, and if someone's bringing me into their school, you know, again, I, I, I can, I do not take that lightly. And, and I feel honored to be invited into that place and to be trusted with the stories of, of any student, any teacher, any community that I'm entering into. And so um, for me, it's, it's really a message of um, how are we going to, to treat one another? You know, how mm. are we going to, it's the golden rule sure. still, It's, it's a biblical principle, yet it's, it's, you know, it's something that we all should abide by, um, regardless of, of where we stand in religion. And it's, you know, treating others the way that we desire to be treated. It's, it's looking at people and and showing compassion and care. And it's really, I mean, what I've, I've talked about even lately, just putting our phones down and stop living behind our screens and living behind our social media presence and, and learning how to interact as humans again, Mm -hmm. just seeing that there's people who are hurting or sad or disenfranchised, learning how to reach out, you know, reaching out to those who are who are kind of marginalized, who are alone, who are new, who are who are clearly hurting. We have an opportunity to really create a ripple effect, you know, of kindness and and um, you know, just just looking out for one another, having each other's backs. Um, and it's not so much an anti-bullying, you know, but it's more of just a, a kindness and a tolerance. It's a it's a challenge even to tell these students, hey, you have one life to live. You have one opportunity, one shot at this. And how are you going to be remembered? You know, kind of what's your legacy? And that doesn't start somewhere down the road after you've graduated high school and college and you have a career and a family, but that starts right here and right now in the walls of, within the walls of this school. And so just, 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 you know, challenging them to see the opportunities that they have every day, just small little acts of kindness that can go a very long way. Mm, That's wonderful. Well, Crystal, I mean, I was praying for you so much after the um, school shooting in Parkland and, 
just I knew you're being a voice there and a, a place of comfort and understanding. Um, but at the same time, I, I realized that my prayers were going in a different direction. And just praying for you because I'm sure you're emotionally, physically even triggered back to your own trauma when you're in those kinds of places and times. You know, as an abuse survivor, things can come up in life even as an adult to remind us of our abuse or our assault, you know, and, and PTSD symptoms can, you know, rear their ugly head in our lives. And I'm just wondering, you know, do you experience any of that? Did you even in this past week? Um, and what do you do for self-care in those situations if you do experience that? Yeah, you know, you make a really great point, Nicole. You're exactly right that, that, the things that we've gone through in our past, obviously, um, you know, are going to go into effect us from this point forward. And, and, you know, honestly, when I hear of another school shooting that has happened or another violent attack somewhere in our country, um, you know, of course, I'm able to go back to April 20th. You know, I'm able to remember exactly what I felt what I was experiencing, all of those emotions, all of those feelings. Um, but I, it's, it's, it's hard to explain because it's not like I'm sent back to that moment where I'm under the table fearing for my life. I don't feel like I start shaking and sweating and feeling the actual physical fear, but I can, but I can, but I can get in touch with those feelings, if that makes sense. And so I just feel like there has been a tremendous amount of healing in my life through counseling, through Jesus, you know, through experiences of telling my story and just disarming the power and the control that my story and the fear has over me. Mm. Um, You know, writing a book, just doing all of these things have been very cathartic. But of course, there's always going to be memories. And I feel specifically with this, this um, event in Parkland, and I even told the students this last week that I feel like their, their shooting was very much like ours. Mm. It just felt like a lot of similarities. It felt like when I was watching the news, it was almost as if I was watching the news 19 years ago. When I looked into their faces in their eyes, it looked like I was looking into my own. And I think some of it is we either, we're the same age and the same stage of life. Yeah. You know, and regardless of the fact that it was 19 years ago for me, you know, and it was in Colorado and theirs was in Florida, I think the fact is, is that if you're a teenager, you're a teenager, you know, right. and we all have the same thoughts and the same dreams and the same motivations and the same struggles in a lot of ways. And so I think that that this one hit home. I mean, they all they all personally affect me, but this one hit home in that way. And um, so, you know, I'm I'm very grateful for the help that I've re- that I've received and the people who've walked with me over the years, so that I have the the courage to go out and to share. You know, because I hope and and I you're you are an embodiment of this, Nicole, that when you stand in front of a crowd, when I'm able to stand in front of a crowd, that we are physical testimonies or representations that though we've been injured, it didn't ruin us. We're Mm -hmm. not destroyed. You know, that there's still hope. We're still standing. And um, that, that I just, I'm, 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 
very cautious to make sure that if anything comes up, if anything rears his head, as you said, that I just face it, that I face it head on. I don't mm-hmm. try and push it under the rug or pretend like it's not there. Mm-hmm. You know, I face it or I get on the phone with a counselor again and I go back to counseling. You know, mm-hmm. I make sure that I deal with it in the moment mm-hmm. so that it doesn't start to you know, so I don't push it down and it doesn't start to fester and it doesn't start to gain master over my life. Mm-hmm. And obviously it doesn't hold you back from stepping out and doing what you need to do. Well, no. And I think that that's what these boys wanted. I think that's what your, you know, mm. attacker wanted is that to keep us silent, right. you know, and to keep us from not talking and to, and to defeat us in that way. But we are victors, not victims. And so the, the ability to say no, courage, I believe, is not um, the, the absence of fear or the absence of certain things that have happened to us, but it's literally staring fear in the face or staring our story or a past in the face and saying, not today. Right. You will not win today. Right. Wow. That's so true. That's so good. You are so courageous, Crystal. Well, so are you, my friend. So are you. (laughs) I read a quote, I think, from your book, or maybe it was one of um, your speeches, but you said, I never would have imagined that the worst thing that ever happened to me could truly be turned into something positive. For the longest time, I felt my life was marked by tragedy, suffering, pain, and fear. Over time, however, I realized I was marked by hope and purpose It's a choice to fully live life despite its challenges and strive to love and serve others. And I thought that's so um, similar to just, you know, an abuse survivor finding that they don't have to live in that painful place anymore, that there's a there comes a point in time on our healing journey where we can choose to take steps forward, even though they're scary, even though it might be dark, we don't know what we're doing. Um but we don't want to hide anymore. We don't want to be in that, that closet full of pain and we want to find our purpose. And so I just thought that was so similar and your words were really powerful there. But I wonder too, when you were back living in that place where you were afraid to speak out or you felt, you know, just overwhelmed with grief, did you ever think to yourself, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to get to the other side of this? Because for those of us on the other side, we can speak those words of power and purpose because we're over here. But when you're back in that dark closet of pain, you don't know if you'll ever be on the other side. Did you ever find yourself in that situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially following the days and the, the weeks and the months and even years following Columbine, there were days where I literally, I mean, I, I remember there were thoughts where I was wishing that I had been one of the students who died that day because life was supposed to be beginning as a 16 year old. And it felt like it was over. Mm -hmm. I had no roadmap of how to wade through my emotions and my fears and even my memories and the, and the PTSD, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just remember thinking, I can't do this. And I lived in such a paradox. I wanted to be around people, but I needed to be alone. I wanted to be physically comforted, but I would recoil at someone's touch. Mm, You know, I'd be in a group of people and I'd always be looking for exits and places to hide, you know, and and I just Mm. never felt 
safe and and I wanted to sleep because I was so emotionally exhausted but I didn't I couldn't sleep because there I would relive it all again I would hear their voices and I would and I would smell the smells and I would you know I would relive it again and again Mm -hmm. and and it was just such a dark difficult time and I really did I just wondered am I am I going to be broken forever Mm -hmm. is this is this really what the rest of my life is going to look like and you know for me it was I everything else had had failed me everything else had disappointed me everything else had fallen short and so the only thing left for me was literally to cling to Jesus Mm-hmm. And I didn't even understand stuff about Jesus. I didn't really know who he was. I didn't understand. But I was like, okay, I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to grab, I'm going to like try and grope for your hand in the dark. And I'm going to hold tight because it's all I have left. And in mm-hmm. scripture, it talks about how he has this ability to like bring us from the muck and the mire and put our feet on a rock and put a new song in our mouths. And it's nothing that I've done. It's it's been this just daily crying out and saying, God, I can't do this without you. I can't make it through this second, this minute, this hour, this morning, this day without you. And I feel like God just comes close as he does. And he, and he assures us with his promises that his grace is sufficient in our weakness and his power is made perfect when we are most weak and that though the mountains may shake and the hills may be removed that his love for us will never be shaken nor his covenant of peace be removed from us that love him and you know so it was God, I don't get you. I don't understand this. I don't get why I went through this. It's not fair, but I'm going to choose to somehow trust you. And and, and I and I don't want to over-spiritualize it either because it was an incredibly long journey mm-hmm. and it took a lot of work, yet it was work that I was willing to do. You know, I, I made right. sure that I put the work in with counseling and I made sure that I would talk to people when it would just try to crush me. And, um, but I also, for me, that was, that's my answer because that's all I had. And that's, Mm -hmm. and that, and he showed up and was more real and more tangible and more present than anything else in my life. Yeah. I think it's very interesting how, um, when you've gone through that kind of pain, I can, I can very much relate to you because we've had that same sort of faith journey. Um, there were many things that could come and go for me and help me to kind of overcome a hurdle or you know, a memory or things like that. But once like Jesus speaks to you, once you find like that he's meeting you where you're at, like the God of this universe is like, he sees all of it, all the ugliness of it and the shame and all of that. But yet like he's coming down to that place that you're in and like speaking words of hope and like unconditional love and grace over you. There's nothing else that could be more healing. And that you're absolutely right. That has been my experience also, and that those are the places where I've gotten the most healing is when I feel like he's spoken a word to me or given me a picture, you know, of what where he was or what he feels about a certain memory or things like that. Like those things are are the things that I cling to for my healing so that when I go back to those dark, ugly thoughts or places or a memory that I thought I had, I had gotten healing for, but then it's hurting me again. Like if I have some sort of memory marker that 
I feel like God has shown me that's all I need. <laughs> I don't need to go to all these different yeah. links, you know, for healing because I have that to cling to. And that really does something in my heart that's hard to explain. So when you say, you know, you don't want to over spiritualize it, I get that. But I also know what you mean in that sometimes the only freedom you'll find is in that relationship. And I'm so grateful. You know, there were times where I, I would try to you know, numb it with alcohol, or I would try another way, you know, something that this world had to offer. And in those places, I only found more pain. I only found them to compound the pain and the sorrow and the anger and the frustration and the confusion. I mean, I just, I feel like those things, though they seem appealing and they feel like, oh, well, maybe if I just escape for a minute, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe if I just forget about it, I can find healing or I can find comfort. And the fact of the matter is that I only found that to be just, it it only added to my suffering Yeah. because then I would, you know, make another poor choice or I would, or I would do something else I wasn't proud of, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I just, I feel like so often there's things that try to allure us to say, oh, this will heal you. This will make you better when really it's only going to serve to make us worse or destroy us more. And so I just feel like, um, you know, obviously for me, that's been the answer. I think I would also say to that as well is that, a lot of times when I would reach out to help others, when I would um, go overseas and, and I would be helping somebody who was impoverished or who was dying of, of malnutrition, you know, or who was um, in a hospital bed for reasons that we can cure here in America, or whenever I was over there helping somebody else in another country and I was able to take my eyes off of my own situation, off of my own pain and my own hurt, I started to see healing take place in my own life. And I know that seems almost crazy, you know, like, oh, well, I have to focus on me and I have to only sit here and think about this and work through this. But somehow when we serve others, there is a healing that takes place in our hearts by default, because for me, it was this realization that, you know, seven and a half minutes I was in that library. But when I got out, I had a home to return to. I had a family who loved me. I had food on the table. I had people who are willing to keep me safe. You know, I had all these things. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that there's people in this world who are literally walking tragedy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. And, And it was almost that perspective that I needed to go, wow, there's people who are hurting far worse than me. And I want my life to be about helping others. And so I think for me, that was hugely, hugely, profoundly healing for me was to start helping others, which is also where speaking came from. Right. That's really interesting because I was thinking about how, um, and this might sound weird, but, you know, we get a lot of obviously survivors of abuse that will share their stories with Mary and I, um, but we also have like a sibling of an abuse survivor or, you know, a family member of a survivor who will come and talk about, you know, how it's affected them. And it's really hard for them to maybe have been the sibling that wasn't abused. And Mm -hmm. I remember hearing you say one time that it took months before you could smile and that when you did smile, you felt guilty. Mm -hmm. Almost like because, you know, you said earlier you wanted you wished you had been one of the ones that had been killed. And just that guilt of having survived, (laughs) 
I just wonder, yes. um, you know, how did you kind of deal with that? Is it, did it come through helping others and, and finding that you had purpose? You know, you were left here, yeah. you weren't affected and you had now purpose to be an answer to a problem in the world. Yeah, you know that again, it's it's a journey and I don't ever want to make it sound like, oh, I got out and now I'm healed and now I'm happy and now I'm, you know, it was definitely a process and I, you're exactly right. I remember I, I couldn't, for a while it was impossible to even want to smile or to be able to because I was just so distraught. Right. But when I got to the point where I started feeling some of those kind of almost um, happy emotions. Again, it felt very foreign and it felt wrong. And you're exactly right. I remember the first day that I ever smiled and I, I laughed out loud and I almost, you know, put my hands over my mouth and, and I was mortified that I did that because I felt that when I did that, I was somehow dishonoring the victims, oh, that those who yeah. died, that I was dishonoring their lives. Mm-hmm. And I remember one one time I had gone over to the parents of a classmate who had died. And I was explaining this to them, you know, and I was I was literally in tears telling them, I'm so sorry that I survived and your daughter did not. Mm-hmm. It's not right. She mm-hmm. should be here. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I'm sorry because I laughed and I smiled and I was profoundly guilty and and genuinely telling them this Mm -hmm. and they looked at me and they said crystal we want you to live your life we want you to grow up and graduate and go to college and have a family we want you to get married and we want to watch you do those things with joy because by doing those things by living your life you will bring honor to our daughter's life and that's, that broke the chains. Like that set me free to be able to say, yes, it's okay to live. It's okay to laugh and smile. It's okay to enjoy life because I'm honoring those that cannot. I'm honoring those who have been hurt and broken, you know, and I'm holding out hope to say you can too. And so for me, that was one of the things that was really that was really helpful in that process. But again, yes, I believe it was helping others and to recognize that I I was playing victim. I'm so good at playing victim. Mm -hmm. You know, even still, I can so easily fall into that role of victim. And, 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 you know, when I realized, no, Crystal, there's people who are hurting so, so, so desperately in this world. You know, it gives me again, that perspective to really, to really try and, um, kind of climb out to, to pull myself up out of that hole and say, no, I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to fall into that role because it's too easy. And my mom, you know, even after Columbine, my mom became an alcoholic and we had to deal with that for a lot of years. And that was almost more painful for me than walking through Columbine because though she wasn't physically abusive, she became very verbally and emotionally abusive. You know, she would try to you know, end her life. And she, you know, and then she would blame, blame me and say, well, it's your fault if it happens, Crystal, because you pushed me away after Columbine. So if I die, it's your fault, you know? And so for me dealing with that was, was, I was able to walk through Columbine and that was done. And it was something in the past and I could put it behind me, but it was adding insult to injury because my mom was continuing to 
be abusive and to and to kick me while I was down. Mm-hmm. And so that was a process that I actually had to walk through for a whole lot longer than Columbine itself. Mm-hmm. And wondering even like we talked about earlier, is this going to be this way forever? Yeah. You know, and I just got to the point where I was so unforgiving and I was so hurt and I was so angry by the way my mom treated me that I just felt like I just, I gave up, you know, and I finally got to a point where I was so broken down and I was carrying around so much unforgiveness that I had to deal with that. And I had to forgive her, whether I ever told her or not, which eventually I was able to, but um, I had to let that go because they were chains that were dragging me down and Mm -hmm. weights that were literally like making me unable to, to walk through life. Yeah. It's interesting how whether it's you know our parents or someone else who raised us you kind of put them on a pedestal and you think that they're these superheroes that you know can never mess up you know they're going to protect you they know best and then once you see you know that hard beautiful exterior start to chip away a little bit you see who they truly are and you feel abandoned and neglected by this person who you put so much trust in And I think that can be such a dark place to be because you're disappointed and let down by someone who you thought was your everything, you know, being your parent or whoever that guardian was in your life. And, you know, my heart breaks for you in that scenario to have your mom kind of turn on you like that. I cannot imagine dealing with that. You know, thank you. I appreciate you even acknowledging that it was it was definitely it was definitely hard. And you're exactly right. The roles almost reversed to where. Ivan needed to take care of her because she had gotten so deep into her addictions that I became the parent, you know, even despite the ways that I had been treated. And that was really, really painful and really hard, which is why at a point I just I just had to get out of that relationship. It it had become so toxic. And yet now, you know, to to make sure that I share the redemption of that story is that that is not who my mom is anymore. She got help. She worked through her addictions and we are very close and she's an amazing grandmother to my children. And it just, even to watch the redemption of her life, to watch the 180 that has taken place, I am so blown away at how, if, if, if that can happen in her life, it is possible in anybody's life. And I'm so grateful that I have her in my life. Well, Crystal, I I know you always say that over time, you know, you were no longer marked by tragedy or marked by hope. And I mean, I think all of us just hope that that would be the case for, you know, communities like Sandy Hook and Parkland and all the others that are out there that bring us back to the memories of Columbine But like you said earlier, you know, this isn't a problem that's going away anytime soon. So what kind of hope do we have for this to end? You know, I I just recently, I will speak kind of to two parts of that question. I recently wrote an article in response to Parkland, and I had been asked by so many parents, both in, in Florida, but also even back home, you know, unfortunately, because of Parkland, there's been a lot of bomb threats or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, school violent threats in a lot of schools across the nation because of copycat type things. Mm -hmm. And so parents are scared. They're scared to send their kids to school and they're asking, what do we do? How do we as parents respond to this crippling fear? But also, how do we talk to our kids who are scared to go to school? And, you know, that, that, that is, 
those are such hard questions, you know, but I think just on, on a practical level, you know, I think that it's important as parents um, to practice mindfulness, you know, to be grateful for the moments that we have with our kids, um, to be, to be very, to give ourselves grace, to say, we're not always going to do this right. You know, we, we, we can't be so hard on ourselves and make judgments about, oh, well, this is wrong. And I can't feel this fear is bad. Go away fear. But it's, it's kind of what we talked about earlier, looking at fear head on, confronting that fear. And almost, it's almost like allowing it, you know, like you're driving a car and you let fear in the back seat and you're like, Hey, you wave at it, you acknowledge it. And, but the, but the fear is not driving. You're still driving. You're still in control. The mm-hmm. fear is not in control, you know, and you as a person knows exactly where you're going, you know, where, where you're headed and fear doesn't get to have a say in that you can still acknowledge it. It can be a part of your life. It can even be on the fringe trying to threaten you, but it doesn't get to have that place of control unless you give it to it. Um, And so give power to it. And so at a point you finally can evict it and say, okay, you're done. You can get out of my car now. I'm not going to let you, you know, (laughs) try and talk to me anymore. You know, you can get out. And then when you have the assurance of where you're headed and how you want to raise your kids, you want to raise loving, compassionate kids who reach out to those that are in fringe. Those are those that are disenfranchised and marginalized, you know, to those who are hurting. If you want to raise caring kids who want to change the world, then you know where you're headed, which gives you the ability to get through the hard things. And so I think those are some practical things to almost like, you know, kind of just remind us about what's important and and not giving power to those fears. Fears, Fear is something that that really can still cripple me to this day in so many respects. Um, It's 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 almost creating margin and space within our homes to talk about it, you know, to say, Hey, how are you feeling? Are you feeling afraid today? You know, what, how can I help you? And, and, and instilling in our kids prayer and God's word and giving them something that they can stand on, you know, and, and prayer changes things and it breaks the power of fear over our lives. Um, you know, and, and almost kind of a daily briefing just to give everybody, even as parents, the opportunity to speak out their voice and to say, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm going through. You know, sometimes it's talking to teachers, making sure that your school is doing everything that it needs to do to keep your students safe. Um, you know, I, and I think what I even want to say to the students, like those in Parkland and those who are starting to rise up and they're, they're, they want their voices to be heard. They're angry. You know, and I say, go for it. Good for you. You know, be a voice of change. Be the change you want to see in this world. But I also caution students, especially right now, while everything is so fresh, that it's so easy to come from a place of anger. And it's so easy to think that there is only one solution to fix the problem. And a lot of of people even think that's a political, you know, a political answer. And I say, though that's important, it's a very big picture. And that's one puzzle piece to the big picture. You know, I think, I think it's important to lend our voices to on a government, you know, policy level. But then I also think that change starts at home. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a, 
there's a moral breakdown in our country and there needs to be the family unit. There needs to be, um, you know, just, just treating people differently as we talked about before, just learning how to interact as right. a human, seeing people mm-hmm. instead of living behind our, our computer screens. It's looking at mental health and it's getting help for people, true help for people that need it in this country. You know, there's so many layers to this problem that we're seeing in our nation. And I think that it's it's only a band-aid to fix one portion of the problem. We need to look at it. It's a systemic problem. And so you can't look at just one avenue. You have to look at all of them in order to fix the problem. But I think it's hard for people to want to talk about the other stuff. This other, you know, area in politics or whatever it may be is so tangible and people mm-hmm. can can relate to that. But I, I just encourage everybody to think critically, to think about how they can be a problem solver and to look at all of the avenues and not just one. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's true in any issue that we face as a culture. Yes, that's very true. Good, good food for thought there, Crystal. And I think it's very important what you were saying, just from a parental, you know, perspective of having those conversations with your kids. I know just last night, I was putting the kids to bed and my oldest Jude just seems sad. And so I was just asking him, you know, what what do you feel sad about? And he's the one that doesn't really talk about stuff. And so he just started naming some things off, you know, and so addressing them each one at a time. I mean, part of it was he was just yeah. jealous that his brother got something he didn't get. But but then, you know, you give them the time to really like, I'm like, what else? What else? What else? Like if you give them that open door, he starts really thinking about it. And at a point he said, I just, I don't know. I feel sad, but I'm not really sure why. And that's okay. You know, but I think that communication Mm -hmm. is just so vital for our kids these days. And, you know, whether it's someone at school they're worried about or something that's going on inside their own hearts, like we as parents have to be the ones that give them that safe place to talk about it um, without letting it fester. Just like you talked about with yourself, you know, that you yourself as an adult knows that, but kids don't know that you know, that, that -hmm. you need to be able to address things when they first, you know, are impacting your heart. And, um, I think parents need to help them find that open door and give them a space to talk about that. Well, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, I'm guilty of, you know, a lot of times being on my phone, hold on, I'll talk to you in a minute. Hold on one sec. Let me finish this, you know, kind of an attitude towards my kids. But if I was able to stop what I was doing in the moment and say, baby, what's, what's on your heart? What's going on? What's on your mind? You know, and get down on their level and be so present. It's creating an environment of trust. It's creating a relationship where they can trust us because right now the price tag is small. You know, some of the things that they face are pretty, I mean, not insignificant because to them it's everything, but Mm -hmm. when they get older, the problems get bigger and the issues get bigger and the consequences get bigger. That's mm, so true. Scary, scary being a parent yeah. in today's world. It's nothing compared to what you know we had back when we were younger. And you faced like the biggest thing that ever happened to kids. You know when we were growing up. I just it's amazing to see how your life has changed, how you've survived, and now you're thriving. And you're just such an example to the rest of the world of just what it really looks like to be a person who walks through some amazingly hard, dark tragedy, but is living a life in the light and um, is shining 
really, truly, um, before so many. And so I'm grateful you're my friend, Crystal, and I'm just so grateful for your story. I feel the same way. I feel so grateful to have a friend like you. You are an inspiration in so many ways. I think you are so courageous and you are so just so bold and so, um, so brave to do what you do. Um, that's so hard to share a story like yours. Um, but you have, you know, especially in light of this movement that has taken place in our country, I'm so proud that you were already beginning this movement before it became a movement, you know, that you were already speaking out and, and you were giving people a voice and you were saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to, you know, to share this, it's okay to speak out. And um, I just, I just am so so proud of you and I'm so thankful for you and I'm thankful for for the way that you know we need all of these pieces of the body we need all of these pieces in our world so that we can function healthy and um, so I'm just I'm really proud of you and I'm thankful to call you friend and and I just I hope that that you know you you continue to do what you do. I can't even imagine the amount of lives you've impacted, Nicole. Oh, thank you so much, Crystal. That means the world to me. Well, I hope to be in Colorado sometime because that's like, well, it's Mary's favorite state, probably. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. yeah. So we're hoping to line up a speaking engagement in your in your state in the next 24 hours, actually. <laughs> no, really? but really, if oh we come goodness. your way, um, let's definitely get together for coffee or something. Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. I Aww. love it. Great. Well, you enjoy your kids the rest of the day. Thank you for your time, Crystal. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, guys. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the One Voice podcast so you don't miss any of our great topics or amazing guests. Don't forget you can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.